Because once we learn a lot of the things that we have to grow our skills and become more competent, it's all about relationships and leadership. And really, so often it's how do we get out of our own way? And in some cases, perhaps that person was holding back for some reason or not realizing, hey, we want you to move forward and to pick the next project or go after that. There are opportunities for our work and careers everywhere, if you know where to look. That's easier said than done, especially in our fast-paced and constantly changing world. Marianne Fairmouth is talking to experts, employers, and job seekers to bring you insight and understanding about what's possible. This is Career Can Do, where we're navigating the new work world. Welcome to the Career Can Do podcast, a top global podcast dedicated to helping you navigate the new work world. My name is Marianne Fairmouth, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, I am delighted to have a guest on our show that's really making a difference in the new work world. Alan Connolly Tafe is a clinical associate professor at the prestigious Kellogg School of Management. She's an executive coach, a TEDx speaker, and a brand specialist who spent 25 years with Fortune 500 companies as a former Fortune 50 executive. Professor Tate is familiar with the opportunities and obstacles that women face in the workplace. While we may encounter outdated work cultures or biases, we may also face an invisible barrier that we aren't even aware of, the mere door. After that incredibly long introduction, without further ado, help me welcome Professor Tate. Ellen, say hello to everybody. Hello, and Marianne, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. We're thrilled to have you. We did a lot of visiting about her upcoming book. We heard Professor Chase about this glass ceiling, but tell us about the mirror door. What's the origin and why did you write about it? So the mirror door is something that many women and other people encounter when we face opportunity. And it's this feeling of facing our own self-criticism and reflecting inward and thinking, we're not ready, we're not worthy to move forward and take action. And we rely on past habits that have helped us to grow and to succeed, but they get in our way and we hold ourselves back. So while there's all this focus on the glass ceiling, I believe that we have to get through the mirror door to get anywhere close to the glass ceiling. That's the basic definition of it. And I got to it in my new job at Kellogg. I joined the faculty and I was running the women's leadership program. And I attended my first orientation as a faculty member. And a woman CEO shared her career story, opened it up for questions. All the questions came from men. And I was taken aback to my own MBA 25 years earlier when I held back. And I started to see whether it's as simple as raising our hand or speaking up at a meeting or going for a promotion, there is this invisible obstacle that we think we're not ready. And it's really a distorted view because so often we're more ready than we realize. Mm -hmm. I like the analogy of the mirror door, Professor Chase, because 
when we think about the mirror door, we're looking into a mirror, we're seeing the reflection back. Who are we? And how do we get this mindset? How do we get this belief in self? So what you're saying is we need to look at that and maybe readjust that so that we can go into the work world with a little more confidence, a little more maybe determination to not let some of the things we've been taught hold us back. Am I on the right track here? You absolutely are, Marianne. I think it's particularly common in people like your audience who have had success, who are high achievers and striving for more. But so often we rely on that success in the past and not wanting to take the risk and wanting to appear perfect. So I wait and hold back and don't speak up in a meeting because I'm waiting for my certain most perfect answer. And then the time passes. And then we feel afterwards like, oh, I wish I had said something. So one of the success strategies that I think helps us, but then gets in our way is that preparing to perfection. That is one of the five that I have identified. You know, it's funny when you're saying all this, I remember my sweet father used to say, I remember as a little girl, four or five, you need to be a good little girl. You need to be a good little girl and do your homework and do everything right. And I think sometimes that good little girl <laughs> might get in the way where we go into the boardroom. What do you think? I think you're right. You're onto something. I talk about it in the book that so often the way we were raised to be the good little girl and to get the A's, it helps us and we're very successful in school. In the United States, 78% of high school valedictorians are young women. And we are prepared for that and go for that gold star and that acknowledgement. And we are helpful to teachers and we succeed in academics. Then we get into the workplace where there's a lot of gray areas and there's no rubric with the absolute right answer. There's just much more gray area and it's a harder adjustment. There's been research done of how girls and boys interact with each other too. And boys learn through one-upmanship, which is a style of behavior as boys, but it helps them to be able to jump into something without that certainty. So they're more likely to like, I can do it. I'll go for it because they learn they can figure it out. And I think girls spend so much time in that preparation to be perfect, to please others, to get that being a good girl that stays with us far too long. I think you're right. I remember, though, my dad would say, as I got older and thinking about going to college, my dad would say, sometimes you do have to take chances, though. Sometimes you have to calculated risk. But, you know, Marianne, sometimes taking a chance is not all that bad. So you talk about these five success strategies that could become perilous and sideline us. Can you tell us about those? Sure. The first one is the one I just mentioned about preparing to perfection. So we're counted on to deliver excellence, be on time, be on budget, and to do hours of preparation to deliver that perfection. And it becomes perilous to us when we rise in an organization or the expectations around us rise. Both happen. And we don't have as much time to prepare. And it creates stress or sometimes we hold back. We might not take the risk, just like your father was a wonderful coach to you in that. Take the risk and learn that we can decide we know more of 
the way to think about things and can move into action. So the solution there is really reframing our definition of success and understanding taking small steps with courage really helps us to move forward in that way. The next one is eagerly pleasing. And this is really about being other-oriented. And it's successful for us because we become the glue that holds the team together. But it can be a risk to us when we neglect our own needs and interests. And in particular, if we hold back on addressing conflict, setting boundaries, or facing saying what needs to be said because we don't want to disappoint or displease others. One of the best things we can do is practice in small ways to set boundaries, to raise the conflict for the good of the overall, that it shouldn't all be about other people. The next one is fitting the mold. And this is really diagnosing a work culture and figuring out what do I need to do to succeed, which is a great thing. It helps us to fit in, to adapt, to read the cultural norms. But if we're robbing too much of who we really are, that can create stress or seed doubt when we think, oh, do they really hire me for me if I'm not really showing myself? So a big part there is really identifying what the culture is and how can we expand the mold so that there's different models of leadership. The fourth one is working pedal to the metal. And this is the pushing ourselves, working tirelessly. The risks there are if we don't bring others along or if we burn ourselves out. So there's a real need to take a pause and make sure we're engaging and aligning others, sometimes facing some biases and also making sure we have time for self-care as well. And my last one is performing patiently. And this is delivering the results, but waiting to be noticed. And it's a challenge in particular for women because other people are going in and asking for the job. And we might be holding back and waiting and thinking that it will eventually come. And so often the squeaky wheel gets greased. So that's where learning to give our managers a sign of what we aspire to, really getting feedback around where do I stand and what do I need to do to get better as well. Those are the five, and I go through the why they help, why they hurt, what we can do to pivot and adapt and add to the good things that those elements bring. Yeah, I think those are five really salient points. One of the things, too, though, Professor Tafe, that I've thought about and I've suggested to candidates when they go into an interview is read the room. If you're interviewed by someone and you see all kinds of pictures on the wall, maybe he's a hunter. Maybe he likes to fish. Maybe you can bring up some kind of conversation to kind of let him know you're noticing what he or she does and talk about that. Because I think on my side of the desk here, Professor Tate, it's about relationships. It's about a commonality. It's about working in an environment where you have something in common. So I agree with everything we've talked about. But I also think sometimes reading the room is an asset. What do you think of that? Oh, I definitely think it is. It helps us to be empathetic and compassionate. And as you wisely pointed out, just being able to build the relationship on a little bit more of a personal level. So even if in that situation, if we are a hunter, the fact that you're noticing it 
and getting curious about it so that you can engage beyond just the numbers or the projects. Be a human being, because I think people do want connection, especially, you know, after the pandemic, that ability to relate and connect. It also, I think, showcases how you might be with a team or a customer as well. But I love that advice. I've had clients call me after interview and saying, you know, you sent us two interviews. The first one came in, Marianne, and all they talked about was how wonderful they were and all their achievements. The second one came in and she saw something on my wall about the school I went to and told me that her sister went to that school and she was visited the school. So she took time to look at something that I'd done and try to have a conversation around that. That tells me, Marianne, she's going to come into my organization. She's going to be a team player. She's going to want to get to know her workers. I mean, I've seen it in action. I think these are really important points to bring out for the people listening, because the other thing too, Professor Tate, is the way things happen pre-COVID and the way they go on post-COVID, in my opinion, are different. I think post-COVID, the clients I have anyway, want candidates to come in and say, I've done my research. I know what your company does. I know who your clients are, prospective clients. Let me tell you what I can do to make a contribution to that. Again, like we talked about, the relationship. So you've done a lot of great things. You've worked with some of the best companies out there, of Fortune 500 companies. What kinds of obstacles did you face most in your career? And how did you handle those to overcome them? I believe we write and teach and coach what we need to learn. So I do feel like I had to learn to speak up more and to say what needs to be said. Early on, I was told, I'm not sure that you're tough enough, or rather senior management is not sure you're tough enough. I know that you are. And so I really had to understand what feedback I was getting and how I was perceived and how do I work with that? I do come across more like smiling and warm, but I also can make tough decisions, but I wasn't always showing that. So I had to learn to show up and show myself a bit more. I'm very observant and I would go into new situations early on in my career, but also joining a new board. I would feel like I would hold back and I'm getting in my own way, facing my old mirror door of I don't know this industry well enough yet to add a point of view. So I really had to learn to take those chances and to take every opportunity and go for it and share what I could contribute, but also value and learn what they already know there. You know, I had a candidate call me the day and say, I had my performance review, Marianne, and my supervisor gave me some feedback that I really didn't like. And I said, what was that? And said, I'm not aggressive enough. I just do what I'm told to do when I don't go after new projects. And I said, well, that was good feedback. That's something you can work on to help you get better and expand your client base. And she said, really? You think I should take that as constructive? I said, yes, I do. So don't you think, Professor Tate, that feedback is important in our careers? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a superpower to be able to give it and to get it. In that case, Sometimes we don't know what it means. So part of feedback is asking really powerful questions. If I was more aggressive, what would that look like? How would that show up? So helping to really understand practically what one can do. And I also 
feel to your earlier question, I had to learn how to give feedback. And I found that I could tap into the more caring side of me to be straight with someone about what might be getting in their way. Because once we learn a lot of the things that we have to grow our skills and become more competent, it's all about relationships and leadership. And really, so often, it's how do we get out of our own way? And in some cases, perhaps that person was holding back for some reason or not realizing, hey, we want you to move forward and to pick the next project or go after that. And I think sometimes, too, it's not what we say, but how we say it. Yesterday, I was so busy, back-to-back-to-back interviews, and I had one candidate that had a resume that was holding him back. He received a degree from a school that has a real network, and it was at the very bottom of the second page. And I said, I think that degree information needs to go on the first page. And he really kind of didn't like that I said that to him. And I said, in a nice way, you know, I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to give you feedback on something. It's a minor change here. But I think if we flip this on the part on the front page, we might get people that are from those schools because there's a lot of people here that go to that school that might want to read that resume. And so after I explained to him why I suggested that, then he kind of calmed down a little bit. But at first he took it as criticism. But I think my initial delivery of the message might have been just abrupt. Then after I calmed down and I tried to explain it. So again, it's not so much what we say sometimes, but maybe how we say it. So you think managers can do to help their direct reports open the mirror door? I think it's giving that feedback of where they are, what's working well, and what they can work on is really important. If you're managing someone who is a perfectionist, one of the things that I love to recommend is take all the work and determine where do they need to deliver A plus performance? Where is it okay to be at a B or a C or what should be dropped? Because sometimes a perfectionist has a hard time prioritizing and there's so many hours in the day. So where should they put their A effort on? That's one, I think, for someone who is that great team player, more more other-oriented, people-pleasing I think helping them to set boundaries, to also work through how to address conflict. I also think managers can be vulnerable of what they had to learn or what they're still learning too. So often we think that someone else is so perfect and has it all figured out. And we're all just learning too. So those are a couple different things. I would also say as a manager, ask what your employees aspire to. Don't assume. Because you might have a squeaky wheel and someone else who thinks, oh, I shouldn't share that, or I don't want to seem like I'm too aggressive, or all the reasons why people hold back. It's really important to understand what do they want in their careers. That's the way that you can get into the conversation about what do they need to do to get there. And it's a way to get them to open up to feedback to your earlier point, too, that enables them to say, when is this feedback right for me? How might this be true? So it engages in the conversations that help people to get after what they want and to be more effective in their roles. I agree. And to our our point before, sometimes I think Mm -hmm. gratitude can go a long way. 
for a supervisor to say, you know, I really like the way you handled that last project. But over here, there's something I think we can do to improve. You're going to get person to want to listen to you if you start off with gratitude and starting off with, you know, you really messed this project up, okay? We're all human and we're going to respond more to positivity as opposed to get real negative right away. Absolutely. In my leadership class called Personal Leadership Insights, I do a listening exercise with students where I have them listen with for facts, feelings, or values. But then throughout the class, I ask them to listen with a lens of different topics. So sometimes I have a listen for a lens of gratitude. Or another favorite is to listen with a lens of curiosity. So if you're going into a tough meeting or you have judgment, you're feeling judgy about someone that you're going to go meet with, if you really like I'm listening and getting curious, that is one of the best ways to take down the judgment as well. It's a great thing to do also when you're trying to take in some feedback. The good thing to do in a performance review or when you know you're going to debrief over something that maybe was contentious too. Well, this information you're sharing is so helpful and our listeners are really going to benefit from it. And I know your book, The Mirror Door, comes out in October. Is that right? That's right. October 10th. October 10th. All right. Well, that'll be on my website. Professor Tate, if they want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Do we have a website, an email, a phone number? How do they get a hold of you if they want to follow up to this podcast? Yeah, a couple different ways. My website is ellentafe.com and Tafe is spelled T-A-A-S-E, if you can believe that. And I have a lot of information about the book, The Mirror Door Breakthrough, The Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place, as well as other articles, discussion guides, those kinds of things. And then I'm also very active on LinkedIn. I have a newsletter on LinkedIn. I also have an email that you can get through the website and a free chapter, as well as if you go to ellentafe.com slash 10 tips, I have a PDF document of 10 tips I wish I knew earlier in my career. Wonderful. Well, we have just thoroughly enjoyed having you on Career Can Do. I'm so thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. And all of this information, as far as contacts for Professor Tate, will be on my website as well, fairmouth.com. We'll keep in touch, Professor Tate, and thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Marianne. We thank you for tuning in to our Career Can Do podcast. We make no guarantees on results for your particular quest, but we hope you enjoy the information presented. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely that of the guest or speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Varian Fairmouth and Fairmouth and Company. Thank you.